Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There is no military solution to the Israeli-Palestinian problem. There is only one solution, is negotiations. I'm Sophia Yan, and this is a bonus episode of Battle Lines. Terrorist group Hamas unleashed pure, unadulterated evil in the world. But sadly, the Jewish people know perhaps better than anyone that there is no limit to the depravity of people when they want to inflict pain on others. Like every place I go, I go run away and I just find bombs and I find dead people. And like maybe one day I'll end up like them, but it's a really scary thing for me. <laughs> people telling me that, you know, mostly this is about Hamas, but they're also angry with absolutely everybody. I'm begging the world to bring my baby back home. As listeners to Battle Lines will know, my job as senior foreign correspondent at The Telegraph means I'm looking across the Middle East to gauge the geopolitical dynamics given the fast-changing situation in Israel and Gaza. Earlier this week, I sat down with Lebanon's foreign minister, Abdullah Bouhabib, to ask him directly how this war is impacting his country and what role Britain has to play in resolving the conflict. Here's our conversation. What would Lebanon like to see at the end of this four-day period? A continuation of the ceasefire by uh, having another agreement on uh, releasing more hostages and more prisoners. That is from the Israeli and Palestinian side. Mm -hmm. Maybe the poses would lead us to, one way or another, to a ceasefire. Mm -hmm. And we start thinking about the future the day after. Because I don't think either party is thinking about the day after. Mm-hmm. How, how do we get to that point, though, the day after? How do we get to this continuation of a truce? What would an agreement have to conclude? It is pretty difficult. Because any agreement has to be win-win. And the Israelis are engaged in uh, revenge, and the Palestinians... Palestinian general, I'm reading some polls that came from the West Bank, not from Gaza in these days, that there is not much confidence in the Palestinian Authority. And that Palestinian Authority needs to be more representative in order to really represent the Palestinians. And the Israeli side needs to be also more inclusive. I mean, they have a cabinet of war, but they're not thinking, they don't want to think about the future, about the day after so far, this government. Mm -hmm. Lebanon and Hezbollah are not technically part of the ceasefire agreement, but there was some expectation that Hezbollah would 
perhaps quiet down a little bit. There have still been clashes along the border between Lebanon and Israel in these few days, last few days. What is your government doing to rein in Hezbollah? Look, in Lebanon, we are working hard and we are dialoguing because in Lebanon we dialogue with each other, with Hezbollah. And uh, yes, they are a resistance organization. And they are not like the government wants peace. We don't want war. But we, at least, we want to limit if there are skirmishes going on, we want to limit them. They are somehow limited. Sometimes they get out of control, but they are on the whole pretty limited to North Israel and South Lebanon. What is the interaction like now between your government and Hezbollah? What kind of impression do you get from them about where they're thinking, what they're thinking, where they think this might go? Yeah, the thing is that they do not war. They don't want to open a big frontier. It is dangerous to have a regional war. If there's war, it means Hashd al-Shaabi in Iraq is going to get involved. A lot of organizations that now have Syria as a base would get involved. And I don't know what would happen on the Jordanian border. It's a very difficult situation to have a regional war. And therefore, I don't think anybody wants a regional war. And everybody is asking, was asking, including Hezbollah, for a ceasefire in Gaza. That's the most important thing, is it is in Gaza. And therefore, you know, I, I can't say that Hezbollah would not be involved in skirmishes and fighting and the war. This is their decision. But we dialogue with them, talk with them in order to calm it down. Can you describe and characterize the kinds of discussions that have taken place, the nature of the discussions, and at what level your government is engaging with Hezbollah? And do you have a direct line to Of course. Nasrallah? Of course. No, 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 no direct line, but there are people that are. Uh, his people, his uh, his advisors. We talk. I mean, we're all Lebanese. We talk to each other, maybe, maybe more than the Scots uh, when the English talk. No, we we are all Lebanese. They have a different opinion, yes, than most of us. But we are all Lebanese. We always communicate. Okay, so at all levels, really, except of course, Mr. Nasrallah is uh, different. He's not like a person that goes from place to place. Uh, I don't know where he, <laughs> we don't know where, <laughs> but the Prime Minister, he talks to Hezbollah people that is nominated by uh, Mr. Nasrallah to talk to the Prime Minister and me and the Minister of Defense. Mm-hmm. We all talk to each other. Do you think Hezbollah should just stop what they're doing on the border with Israel? You say that they also don't want war, I, but they I, keep acting. I think both Israel, IDF, and Hezbollah should stop. Yes, we like that too. This is the policy of my government is to not to have anything on the border. But to accept skirmishes, then if the, the choice is skirmishes or war, it's skirmishes. You know, things are not in our hand. Yes, we have Hezbollah, it has its own army, etc. But what, what do you want us to do? Have a civil war? We're not going to have a civil war. Israel's been very clear. If things were to escalate on the shared border, even if it's Hezbollah that's responsible. And of course, we've seen this happen, exchanging fire on the border. You know, the defense minister in Israel, Galanti, has been very clear that Israel will make Lebanon pay. So what is your response to that? Look, as I said, we don't want war. The Lebanese don't want war. Not only the government, the Lebanese don't want war. I said the same things for the Israelis. If they are going to escalate, 
Hezbollah is not threatening to escalate. Even Hezbollah is saying, we don't want regional war. And they say that we hope there will be ceasefire soon in Gaza. Because if it is going to continue, it could develop or generate to a regional war, which we don't want. But they're still exchanging fire with the Israeli military. They say one thing and they're doing another, right? No, but they're exchanging fire. You said it. I mean, we don't know. Even UNIFIL, you know, the United Nations forces there, they don't know who's starting it. It could be Israel. (laughs) It could be Hezbollah. One time this and one time that, you know, because it is hot on this. Tension is very high. Mm -hmm. So you can never tell who started it. Both of them could start it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we offered Israel a few months ago to have the border, align the border between us, and then they they can do whatever. Once it is aligned, tension would be less. They didn't accept. Mm-hmm. That's why we asked the Americans to help us in this. We want, really, the border to be aligned. It was demarcated in 1923 by the Brits and the French because they were both the mandatory power there. And therefore, you know, we we do not want war. We want to reduce the tension in the South and didn't accept that. The relations between Lebanon and Israel are obviously very complicated, to say the least. Well, well, they are not, they could be peaceful. A year ago, we reached an agreement without talking to each other on the maritime border, right? To the American intermediary. So, we can do the same on our land border mm-hmm. if they want. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things can be done even when two persons are not talking <laughs> or two entities or yeah. two countries are not talking. Well, I do want to ask about that. We are in a very unprecedented time. Is there any interaction now since October 7th between the Lebanese and Israeli governments because of what's happening to find a way? It is through UNIFIL. Yeah. And we have a tripartite committee. And this tripartite committee, they meet regularly. Uh, it's a Lebanese officer, uniform officer, and Israeli officer. Mm-hmm. So we have contact with that. And uh, that's where we ask them whether they would like to complete alignment of mm-hmm. the borders. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there is still a way to reset, to go back and to, even if you are speaking through intermediaries, to work on something like that, to work on the land border issue, to find some way forward with Israel? I think when things calm down, yes, because the Americans are convinced that we should do it. And if they put enough pressure on them, I think we can start working on it. We may not get an agreement, Mm -hmm. but we should start working on it. What about for the broader Middle East region? Before all of this happened on the 7th of October, there were moves toward more normalization, Iran-Saudi, starting diplomatic ties. I mean, it seemed like something was different in the air. Do you think that this is still possible? In 2002, in the Arab summit in Beirut, the Saudis submitted a proposal and it became the Arab Peace Initiative, which means two-state solution and we recognize Israel. And in that meeting, Gaddafi was there, and even Saddam Hussein, we're talking about two in the past, mm-hmm. even Saddam Hussein, his first deputy was there. And they all agreed that we'll do it. But such kind of uh, peace does not bring peace at that. 
And I think such kind of attempts brought October 7. Because if you want to make peace and exclude us as the Palestinians, we're not going to allow it. Because they are the people who lost their land, who lost the country. And they're not going to allow such kind of thing. It could happen, but it does not bring security and peace to the region. The only peace that counts is between the Palestinians and the Israelis. What kind of actions would the Lebanese government like to see from the U.S. and the U.K., from those governments? Now? Mm-hmm. Well, first, for, for the U.S. is to extend as much as you can the pause that is taking place now by exchanging prisoners and hostages, because neither of them should be where he or she is, really. Especially that, as we see, there are a lot of children on both sides, children in Israeli prisons and children taken hostages by Hamas and other Palestinian organizations in Gaza. Prolonging this period could really bring a ceasefire and would calm things down and people start to talk because there is no military solution to the Israeli-Palestinian problem. There is only one solution, is negotiations. Some would say that that is what was attempted already so many times before. This is something that many people have tried, many countries, many leaders of many countries. Yeah. Many well, leaders of every time if you read the books that followed, you, there were some reasons here and there. But the main reason is the stubbornness of the Israelis. They are not convinced that the Palestinians are people who want the country. They, they say Arabs. This is not a correct. Uh, they are Arabs, but they are Palestinians. The Palestinian refugees in Lebanon, they've been there 75 years. They still talk Arabic with a Palestinian accent. I mean, you can tell it. I mean, you may not be able, but we can tell it immediately if you talk that he or she is Palestinian. Mm. So they are nationalistic people. They are proud people. Most of them are successful people who really went outside and a lot of big companies all over the world that are Palestinians. And I think they will be excellent neighbor to Israel. And I think the West Bank is... uh, fertile land and it has a lot of holy places if there's peace Israel will benefit and the Palestinians will benefit because there will be a lot of pilgrimage there will be Muslim pilgrimage and there will be Jewish because the Jews outside Israel are more than Jews in Israel Muslims have sacred places there Christians of course and the Jews also so peace brings really dividends for everybody Speaking of Palestinian refugees, is Lebanon considering the possibility of taking in Palestinians as these events continue to unfold? It's a kind of treason for any Arab country to receive Palestinian refugees. Palestinians should stay in their country. That's why Egypt refused it. That's why Jordan is scared that the Israelis may push some from the West Bank. And Lebanon also. We are overloaded by refugees. We are five million people. We have two million Syrian refugees, and we have half a, half a million Palestinians. We cannot take them anymore. We are working hard in order to really get rid of the Syrian refugees. I mean, we think we know that the refugees in Lebanon or in Jordan, they are not political refugees. None of them. 
is a threat to the Assad regime. They may not like the regime. I mean, you know, half of America don't like the administration, right? <laughs> we know that. <laughs> this, is, this is democracy, after all. We cannot really bear this two million Syrians in Lebanon, in a country of five million. But there is a lot of pressure from Western countries. We're hang up on uh, the political issue that they have with the Assad regime. And the, the one who's suffering and who's really paying this is not the countries of the West. It's Lebanon and Jordan. And if this continues, it will be Israel and other countries. Because poverty, 90% of the Syrians are under poverty line. So we, we really have to do something in order to stop this issue in Syria from going worse and from, you know, hurting neighboring countries. Mm -hmm. And more or less, the people of Syria are going to migrate. At the end, if Lebanon economy is not great, if Jordanian economy is not great, they both are not great, they're going to go to Europe at the end. How? I don't know. Through the seas, through smuggling, through etc., you know, they go. So it is Syria has to be reconsidered in the West in terms of rethinking, let's say, of how to treat Syria. If you have a kind of a problem, you have to solve it, not leave it grow, whether it is in medicine or in politics or everything, it's the same. You don't leave a problem to grow, you try to solve it. And we hope we're looking for peace so that Palestinian refugees would also go home, not necessarily to their homes, but to their homeland, let's say. Right now, you're a government, as a caretaker government. In what way is that having an impact on the ability for your government to be influencing what Hezbollah is doing and thinking? Well, look, as I said, the dialogue between us is strong. And we're not the cause of the presence of uh, neither Palestinian refugees in Lebanon nor Syrian refugees. What happened in both Palestine, historic Palestine, and what's hap what happened in Syria caused all this inflow of uh, refugees to Lebanon. And uh, we are trying our best in order not to have these refugees, how to say, harm the country. And we talk with Hezbollah all the time on that. And Hezbollah knows they are Lebanese, they are subject to elections. They, they, they also all the time care about their base because they are pretty popular. In the last election, they got a lot of votes. Uh, so th they have to preserve their base. And I don't think their base is really want war. But, I mean, they are a resistance movement. Mm -hmm. If there was no, the events of Gaza did not take place, they wouldn't be doing anything. In terms of what the UK government can do, what are your thoughts on that? The UK can play a role, especially with the United States and with the EU. We need Europe to be involved. Europe is a very important, and look, the problems are between Europe and the Middle East. Americans are far away. And, you know, these two regions, I usually say, if one sneezes, the other catches the cold. And we're talking about problems since, you know, since thousands of years, right? One probably of your greaty, greaty, great whatever grandfather was a crusader and went to, to the Middle East, right? So we have to respect each other's, how do you say, identity and not try to change them because there's always an attempt 
in Europe to try to change the Middle East. The Middle East is Middle East. It, if it change, it will change on its own. Mm-hmm. They, they will not accept others enforcing change into them. Mm-hmm. This was historical. I'm not saying it's an opinion now. It's a historical, his, historical events there. Mm-hmm. Look, I met the former foreign minister a few days before he was changed. <laughs> right. uh, it was in Riyadh, mm-hmm. and he met uh, a lot of foreign ministers there. And uh, he, wa- he was pretty moderate at that time. But sometimes you have statements that really side with Israel. And the Arabs, co- you know, consider that Britain is responsible for what's happening now through the Balfour Declaration. So it's all to play, play the game with, along with Israel. And I think, you know, to show a lot of uh, understanding to the Palestinian cause and Arab feelings. Because the, the Arabs don't feel that the West that gave a free hand to Israel by saying the right to self-defense. And this kind of... Uh, Right became a license to kill. You remember that movie? It's British, after all. Mm-hmm. And this is what a lot of Arabs now, and the Arab Islamic statement that came out is against that. This is, it shouldn't have been given that the Western countries, including the United States and Britain, has given Israelis a license to kill, to destroy. Uh, and this is unacceptable otherwise. So it, it's a difficult situation. And also this license to kill has really, let me see how I say it, has really took from the West the issue of human rights. Mm-hmm. They use every time they want to human rights uh, decision in the United Nations against China, against Iran, against Russia. You don't, you're not going to see the Arabs moving the same way they moved in the past. Like when Russia invaded Ukraine, we condemned it. We were the only, Lebanon was the only country that condemned it. Israel took two days in order to make a statement. And it was a very moderate statement. So we are the only country that condemned it. Do you ask me, will you do it again? No, I would tell you no. I was actually wondering if you could describe for me what it was like in Riyadh in those recent meetings. There was the big statement that came out calling for ceasefire, of course, but what was the mood like? Because it is quite... Well, it's a big, big event. There were 57 countries, and these 57 countries, I think their position should be taken into consideration worldwide. Because, I mean, a lot of them are friendly with the Western countries. But if this continues, this friendship would be weakened. So uh, I think uh, the West should really take those meetings into consideration. And there is more tendency for less dependence on the West, I should say. There is a tendency, strong tendency in these countries that we cannot depend on the West because of the double standard that they show. Mm-hmm. Look what happened in Ukraine, look what happened now, and so there is a double standard. And uh, whether it is a human rights issue or peace issues or whatever issues, there is a double standard. And this reduces this degree of friendship with each other. And I think the, the West should be aware of this and try to solve it. You know, not act like they are still 
the upper hand and colonial power like. I'm not saying they are colonial power now, but sometimes they act this way. This is the feeling. And I think they should be more moderate. And you know, the United States is, is what it is, right? <laughs> and Britain can play a role. I mean, it is the closest, still the closest ally to the US. In a perfect world, if there were no limits, you could draw up whatever you'd like. From your government's point of view, what would the future of Palestine look like? Look, at the beginning in 1947, the vision that the Israel would have been 40, 40% of historic Palestine. Mm-hmm. Now they have 78% of it. And they are not satisfied. I think they should stop grappling. They should get out of the West Bank and there should be an independent sovereign state in the West Bank and Gaza. As I told you, the Arab League uh, summit in 2002 in Beirut, and George Bush, George Bush Jr., the son, uh, in 2002, he said, there is no other solution than the two-state solution. Mm -hmm. And since then, the American administration have, you know, accepted that. Mm -hmm. So it's better for the Israelis. If they want to live in, in peace, is that they should accept the state solution. And then if they have demarcated, fully demarcated borders, they can build the wall they want around them that no Hamas or any other organization can uh, penetrate, really. What entity then should govern Gaza and the West Bank? It should be a Palestinian entity at the end. No Arab country wants to put its fingers in Gaza or the West Bank. It is a Palestinian issue. It's a Palestinian issue. And uh, the, the West Bank used to be Jordanian before 67. Mm-hmm. And now Jordanians don't say that at all. So it is a Palestinian issue, and the Palestinians should put their house in order in order to govern themselves, if allowed by the Israelis. Mm-hmm. I mean, the issue of what happened in October 7, the surprise is that it didn't happen before. Not that it happened. And even if the Israelis now dominate and finish, it's going to come again. Unless there is peace, the Lebanese are not going to do it. The Emirates is not going to do it. Egyptians will do it. Only the Palestinians will do it. Their problem is with the Palestinians, not with the rest of the Arab world. We are sympathizers as Arabs, as we say, you know, we use the word brothers, right? We support them. And we, we argue for them, and we support them in all means that we can. But at the end, they are Palestinians, and they want to live in Palestine. I want to ask you the same question about the Middle East region as I did about Palestine. That What would be your greatest hope? In a perfect world, no limits. You could draw it the way you wish. What does the future of the Middle East then look like? I think the most important problem that was creating insecurity in the Middle East is the Palestinian problem. At one time, the fight for petroleum you know, among those who need it, or the competition also created a lot of uh, problems. Now, I would say that organizations that came out, something like ISIS, or all the violence that came in the 60s from the Palestinians, hijacking of planes, you know, and so on, it was all a result of not solving the Palestinian problem. The world should recognize 
a Palestinian state. They should have a seat in the United Nations. And Israel should really get out of the West Bank and from Gaza. And around Gaza and the West Bank, they can build the wall they want. They can live happily ever after alone, or they can create some kind of relations with the Palestinians and the countries around them. Like they have now some good relations with Egypt. I don't want to say uh, excellent, no, but good, cold, but good. And with Jordan, okay? And they have also with UAE and Bahrain. And Morocco as well. You need more, you need to solve the Palestinian problem before you get all the Arabs and before you have a warm relation rather than cold relations. I think if there is a Palestinian state, I think most of the Arab countries would recognize Israel. Battle Lines is an original podcast from The Telegraph. To stay on top of all our news, analysis, and dispatches from the ground in Israel and Gaza, subscribe to The Telegraph or sign up to Dispatches, which brings stories from our award-winning foreign correspondents straight to your inbox. We also have a live blog on our website where you can follow updates as they come in throughout the day, including insights from contributors to this podcast. If you appreciated the podcast, please consider following Battle Lines on your preferred podcast app. And if you have a moment, leave a review as it helps others find the show. As disinformation is a particular problem during conflict, we are relying on your support more than ever. This episode of Battle Lines was brought to you by me, Sophia Yan, and producer Louisa Wells. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.